get that crazy feeling not knowing I'm in trouble again. I'm in trouble 'cause you're a rambler and a gambler and a sweet talking ladies man. Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 112 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is Implementing an Effective Training Program. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group offers compliance program training services, We help clients to design and implement training programs that focus on relevant control personnel and are tailored to your company's needs and specific risk profile. In this area, we provide training programs addressing anti-corruption, AML, fraud, sanctions, antitrust, data privacy, sexual harassment, and other relevant risks. We also provide extensive training programs on internal investigations, including how to interview witnesses, report writing, and overall investigation strategies. If interested in discussing our training programs, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, today uh, we turn to, you know, one of my sort of favorite topics, which are training programs, since we we are involved in a lot of training uh, activities in the compliance field. Um, And I want to start with sort of talking about some of the guidance principles that have come through with regard to uh, government expectations as to training programs, but also mention some of the ideas that we've seen uh, out there with our clients, contacts, and other Uh, in the industry in terms of uh, effective training ideas. So the the government has stated that a well-designed compliance program obviously has to include, quote, appropriately tailored training and communications. And I look at training as part of an overall communications effort. Um, It's a specific type of communications, but I think it has to be looked at in terms of an overall communications strategy. Compliance policies obviously cannot work unless they're effectively communicated throughout a company. And uh, communications and training programs the government has indicated ensure that directors, officers, and employees are aware of and follow compliance policies and procedures. Um, the The Justice Department's recent evaluation of compliance program guidance noted that the integration of a company's policies and procedures should include periodic training of all directors, officers, and relevant employees, and where appropriate, agents and business partners. Further, the guidance states that the company's training program has to be tailored to the audience's size, sophistication, or subject matter expertise. In this regard, DOJ uh, has noted that some companies give employees practical advice or case studies to address real-life scenarios and or guidance on how to obtain ethics advice on a case-by-case basis. Two other important points included in the guidance. Companies have to make sure training covers prior compliance incidents. If there has been a problem or uh, any instance of misconduct, that the training program has to then be adapted to address those uh, incidents of misconduct. Also, companies are under an obligation to measure the effective 
effectiveness of its training program. It's not just saying people attended, here are records of people attending. We also have to establish and companies have to establish that people were learning, uh, getting the message of what we intended to communicate to them. So we're going to look at sort of types of training um, and effective training and communications uh, and look at the issues of training of, let's say, particular relevant control persons or gatekeepers, how we remedy misconduct, and also our, our third-party training programs. Um, perhaps one of the most important aspects of this, like everything in compliance, is risk-based training. In other words, training that program that reflects the risk assessment and the risks that we face. So to mitigate those risks, to address those risks, we provide targeted training that's keyed to that, uh, so to those risks. So, for example, uh, training for people in relevant control functions, which we're going to talk about, tailored training for high-risk and control employees, uh, and especially those areas where misconduct has occurred, and whatever analysis or decision-making we use in the training program, um, we have to make sure that we document this. In other words, how, what's our analysis? How did we take the lessons or the sort of conclusions from the risk assessment, and how did we apply that to our training program? We have to document that we did that and that there was some connection and make sure that we have documentation of that. Now, before we get to some of these Issues. I wanted to just sort of uh, highlight some of the sort of more interesting aspects that I've seen and participated in in terms of training programs uh, beyond the mere like having a lawyer stand up there and go through, uh, you know, boring legal type of discussions. Uh, people are definitely devoting more energy and resources to developing creative and engaging training programs and employing innovative measurement strategies, uh, ways to, you know, to assess people and whether or not they're learning what they're supposed to be learning. So there's been a lot written about this, and also I've, I've observed a lot, participated in a number. Um, so some of the, let's go through some of the ideas that I've seen. I've uh, definitely probably one of the more productive approaches that I've seen are sort of scenario programs. In other words, innovative training programs which are built around uh, recreating a scenario, business scenarios. In other words, having people create their own, you know, operate together as teams and they uh, then are engaged in business and then they also are required to address compliance. So there's a sort of these, you know, sort of scenario-based functions where you're operating a company, you make sort of business decisions, and you get real-time results based upon your decisions, and then compliance issues come up, and you have to respond to those. And this is all sort of automated uh, through software uh, programs that are really fun and interesting. So they're sort of simulated business operations with real uh, compliance scenarios that come up. You have to handle those. And then if you handle them right, there's not so much impact on the business. If you handle them wrong, then there's, you know, an enforcement action or something like that. So employee teams then operate simulated businesses with compliance scenarios and then choices built into their program. 
Uh, another second area is game shows and quizzes. You know, like the first option, uh, companies will use game show or quiz formats to provide real case scenarios and make compliance interesting or even set up little games uh, where it can become, uh, you can have a little bit of good old uh, human competition. Um, so that's, uh, and I've seen that, it's more engaging than just, you know, standing up there and talking. Uh, and frankly, sometimes uh, these the scenarios or the game shows uh, can lead to better and more open conversation because it breaks down people's sort of, um, you know, unwillingness to speak or anything like that. Uh, what I also am seeing is more focus on specific audiences. So like building compliance program definitely requires establishing relationships with natural partners, human resources, uh, finance staff, everything like that. So for compliance officers, one one area I often speak about is accounts payable staff are a fertile source for helping compliance to identify red flags, elevating payment issues, and bringing matters of concern to compliance officers. They're, they serve on the front lines, and it's obviously... Uh, One thing that that I've worked with companies to do is create training programs for accounts payable staff. Um, Finally, with regard to measurement techniques, beyond taking tests and quizzes, uh, companies are establishing sort of competency frameworks. In other words, rewarding employees that spend time learning a topic, elevating their knowledge, and then making them so-called experts or advisors who can uh, conduct training sessions themselves, but also earn additional compensation or recognition in their reviews or even an ethics award as the number of experts and training personnel uh, expand within an organization. So it's sort of building the competencies uh, and encouraging people to do so through positive incentives. So that's one uh, one additional area that I would look at. So let's uh, let's go back now and talk about relevant control personnel, control persons, because I think this is one of the really sort of uh, key areas to focus on. Companies have to undertake obviously a risk analysis to determine who should be trained and on what subjects, and to drill down on this, a uh, company has to understand the company's risk profile, its compliance and financial controls, and the persons who serve in relevant control positions, the gaps that may exist in risk mitigation and prior instances of compliance misconduct, which may surround these functions or the relevant control personnel themselves. With this information, a company can design training programs that are crafted to address relevant issues of concern to a special control person audience. For example, companies may want to consider providing different types of training to their sales personnel, uh, accounting personnel, uh, and use hypotheticals or sample situations that are similar to the situations they might encounter. Relevant control persons uh, are those who have authority over a transaction or payment, including contracting authorizers, sales and bid personnel, uh, managers of discounts and rebates, uh, and, of course, accounts payable persons, as I discussed before. So such training should focus on issues of concern to these particular control persons, how they exercise their authority and discretion, and also, most importantly, focus on escalation policies and procedures to make sure they know how and when uh, to raise uh, issues um, further within the organization. Uh, 
Uh, we also try to, in terms of relevant control persons, we want to make sure that our training is uh, tailored to high risk in uh, control employees, including those categories or functions involved in prior misconduct. And one other area to think about is also focus on uh, to provide training to supervisory employees to ensure that they um, address uh, their unique responsibilities and how they're supposed to do it. So, um, so I look at training of gatekeepers or relevant control or responsible control persons as a really critical foundation of a training program. It's something that the government wants to see. Um, obviously, procurement people would also be great people to throw into that because they're also responsible for vendor-supplier relationships uh, and making sure that those are operating uh, appropriately. So let's turn now to accessibility and the form and content and effectiveness of training. And it, training has to be offered in, a, in the form and language appropriate for the audience. So accessibility, meaning uh, foreign language training, is really important. Uh, also, companies offer a mix of live and web-based training, and a company has to document and explain its rationale for its choice. So we have live, we have online, mixed um, type of training, um, and the language, obviously, in a global company has to be uh, carefully considered as to your audience. Um, and then we also talk about measuring effectiveness. Now, a lot of people use quizzes, surveys, tests. Um, this is an area where companies have to focus and demonstrate how they measure whether it's compliance program uh, is working. At a minimum, companies should consider testing and quiz programs that are designed to ensure that employees are learning from the training content. Uh, and if they have knowledge gaps or employee failures, they also have to have a process for um, improving the education uh, and remediating the problem and making sure that employees can pass any test or quiz. Um, so those are important, and I mentioned earlier some of the uh, some of the earlier issues uh, with regard to um, uh, you know sort of improving competencies and training uh, and improving and and companies that are sort of coming up with new and innovative ways uh, to test uh, various um, con uh, individuals as to whether or not they're really learning this uh, content. Now let's go to another issue. Uh, it's a little bit related to training, not necessarily, it, but it can be because in terms of hypotheticals that are used is communications about misconduct. And uh, the Justice Department's compliance guidance requires uh, senior management to communicate about misconduct. And in this area, companies are definitely spending time pushing the envelope and disclosing comprehensive information these days about their complaint and hotline reports, investigations, and disciplinary actions. Of course, this has to be balanced against privacy interests and concerns. A disclosure cannot be singular in nature such that it identifies the specific person who was disciplined. Uh, but the Justice Department has suggested that companies use uh, and anonymize and anonymous descriptions of the misconduct that leads to discipline. 
And uh, this is a great an area to use, and I think it gives you real fact-based scenarios and hypotheticals to incorporate within your tra- training program. So I think it's really uh, an important area to look at um, and to see how this can be done. In terms of guidance, uh, the Justice Department also has focused on the availability of guidance. In other words, the ability of me as an employee to call up and seek um, responses um, and to seek information. So as part of a training issue, the Justice Department focuses on availability of guidance relating to compliance policies and making and raising employee awareness of these resources, like having a telephone number that they can call. Companies have to assess, though, if employees know when to seek advice and whether they are willing to do so and if they're aware of how to do so uh, as well. So there sometimes are help desks, anonymous uh, call centers, uh, 1-800 numbers, Um, And then we also have to make sure that people are aware of this and somehow survey whether they're aware of the way to seek advice. Another important issue that gets discussed a lot and was a, is, is still continues to be a significant issue is the training of third parties. And the Justice Department continues to emphasize the importance of training third parties where feasible. Um, And the focus in this area is to communicate the importance of uh, your company's legal and ethics um, compliance program. Uh, Online training, for example, can be used to track and verify that the third party uh, participated. But there are other ways to accomplish this same thing. Uh, A lot of third parties these days are, and if they're big enough, they have their own compliance program, their own training program. And to me, uh, if you can verify that they have their own training program and that people are abiding by it or participating in it, then that uh, would not require you to duplicate their own uh, efforts. Um, So who do I look to train? Obviously, distributors and sales agents, high-risk type of third parties, lawyers, lobbyists, accountants, customs and import-export agents. Um, And, you know, make sure you have a good list and and even risk-rank the third parties in terms of user risk ranking that you already do in terms of their their risk to the organization and make sure you train the higher-risk individuals uh, first. Um, so now what are some of the, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how should I do the training? Am I required to do it a certain way? And really, uh, it, almost everyone now has a mix of live and online. Uh, live is taking a lower sort of profile because of the cost involved, but, uh, I'd still look for opportunities when there are meetings, let's say, of distributors uh, in a particular region or meeting of sales personnel within a particular region and try to get on the agenda at those meetings to conduct some training or offer training at those opportunities. So I always look uh, for those types of things. Um, and the thing that online uh, training gives you is it's scalable it's a consistent message. Uh, it's web-based, meaning it's easy to access. Uh, multiple languages may be easier. Also, it may be easier to create sort of micro-learning or uh, content. Uh, and, it, of course, it's always trackable, reportable, and auditable uh, when you use online uh, systems for that. 
So um, we've also seen uh, one other issue I want to address also is OFAC training programs and the requirement. Uh, Remember that OFAC in their recent guidance uh, mandated that relevant personnel have to have annual Uh, sanctions compliance, trade compliance training uh, each year, uh, annually. Um, So it has to be done at least annually, uh, and that should be documented. That is a specific uh, requirement. Um, And basically, when you look at OFAC training requirements, we have beyond the annual there's, um, there's some basic criteria that, that is required, and that includes uh, OFAC-related training programs have to provide adequate information and instruction to employees uh, and relevant stakeholders and has to be tailored to high-risk employees within the organization. And scope has to be appropriate for the products and services it offers and the geographic regions in which it operates. Um, uh, if an organization learns of a deficiency or of misconduct, it should take um, immediate and effective action to make sure there's training uh, with regard to that issue and how to handle that issue. Uh, and a training program has to have easily accessible resources and materials that are available to all applicable personnel. We also had the antitrust division's guidance, and uh, there were some interesting um, issues that were raised in that guidance surrounding training and communication. Uh, Antitrust compliance training, for example, should empower employees to do business confidently uh, so that they can resist pressures more effectively, pressures internally or externally to engage in anti-competitive cartel activity, to fix prices, to agree to bid rigging. Um, They have to understand, relevant personnel have to understand uh, that communications with competitors could be or signal an antitrust violation um, and has to be, they have to be sensitized to that. Uh, And training has to be directed at doing that. Uh, And scenarios should be created, particularly, you know, and antitrust is a great area where it should be um, sort of looked at as well in terms of um, making sure that they're given real-life scenarios, and it's pretty easy to come up with ones where competitors may approach somebody, an employee, and try to talk to them about uh, a particular issue. Um, one last issue before we close out here is as we collect uh, program data, obviously attendance and certification is important. Testing records uh, have to be kept. Um, any type of measurement program that we have, we want to maintain uh, data and documentations, onboarding rates. Uh, we want to track employee performance on their testing um, and uh, and develop specific testing modules for people in relevant control areas, which are important. Uh, so that's, uh, I think, another thing that, that we, ha- we have to look at. Obviously, documentation throughout this whole program is important in terms of relevant decisions that are made with regard to your training program, how you're going to design it, how you're going to implement it, how you're going to monitor it, and how you're going to ensure its effectiveness. So 
anyways, that's just an overview. I uh, hope you get some good ideas from this. We're always available to discuss uh, possible training assistance. Uh, and also, we're always available to, you know, just discuss ideas and how to approach uh, training programs. So make sure, if you're interested, to contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Thanks again, folks, for listening, and uh, stay in touch, and we'll, we'll be back with another topic uh, next week. Thanks again. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. And please you feel free to contact me anytime at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Like we love